Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're continuing our series called Blessed Are the Weird. This week's message is by Rod Pepping. My name is Rod. I'm the outreach pastor here, and we are glad that you are here with us. We are in the middle of a series called Blessed Are the Weird where we are walking through one of Jesus' most famous sermons uh, called the Beatitudes, uh, where he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, as we get started here this morning, I'm going to just take a couple minutes and kind of get us caught up to where we are uh, today. The first week of the series, uh, we had Brian kind of launch us and start talking about what does it mean to be blessed, right? What does that mean? Many of your Bibles may translate that into happy. Uh, Is that happiness? What does that mean? Uh, And Brian talked about how uh, the idea of being blessed is the idea of God's face turning towards you, the idea that God sees you, right, and that, that, uh, that he sees you in your stuff. It's not just happiness or happenstance. Um, we also talked about how these cannot be just a list of do's or don'ts, right? This can't just be a behavior modification. It's just about lists of do's or don'ts. Week two, Steve Fowler talked about uh, the first beatitude, the blessed are the spiritually poor, and he used the term blessed are the spiritual zeros, Right? And he, he talked about this idea that, that what it really is is that we see who God is and then we see who we are and we realize that there's a deep gap there, right? That we are spiritually bankrupt in light of who Jesus is. That it's not just that we look down on ourselves or that we just think of ourselves less, but that we really truly see who we are. We don't think more or less of ourselves, but we see ourselves in true comparison um, to who God or who Jesus is, uh, and that we understand we're spiritually poor. That idea that we can't get there on our own, we can't do it, we can't get good enough, we can't be good enough, that it's all about what Jesus did. Uh, The next one is blessed are those who mourn. And so um, last week was our annual meeting, but let me kind of give you a quick piece of that. we would say, you know, happy or the sad. And what we mean by that is, is not this emo kind of we walk around all sad faced, but that we would see who Jesus is. We know we're spiritually poor and that would bring about a holy mourning in our lives, that we would really understand who we are. The next one, which we're going to talk about today, they build on each other, right? So it's this idea that Jesus didn't just throw out these different statements, but that he was, they were building on one another. A couple months ago, Steve Fowler, as I was walking into his office uh, for a meeting, he said, Rod, can, can you preach on October 24th and 25th? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm available. I love to preach. I, I will do it. And so he said, hey, we're going through the Beatitudes. Perfect. I assumed I was going to get blessed or the pure in heart. <laughs> right? maybe blessed are the righteous, right? I mean, that, you know, but blessed are the pure in heart's a good one. He kind of smiled this sideways smirk that he does when he's trying not to laugh and said, I'm gonna give you blessed are the meek. I said, that's not that funny. And so <laughs> in walks Barbara Fletcher. I said, Barbara, my message is blessed are the meek. She just giggled and sat down. The reason they laugh is nobody on staff would probably go, you know, Rod, he's the meekest person I know. 
Because I, 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 I say this a lot. I'm not much, but I'm all I think about, right? So, <laughs> I mean, there's this idea of meekness that doesn't always permeate who I am. And so I struggle with this message. And it's, it's been a great message to kind of wrestle through and go, what is Jesus calling me to but I wanted to say that as we start out, because I know this, many of you walk in today, you sit down, uh, and you go, blessed are the meek. Man, this is difficult, especially if you're a guy who's been told your whole life, be a man, right? Don't show weakness. Go out and take what's yours. Rub dirt in it. If you get hurt, don't cry. We do that. It's just, this is who we are, our society. We love this. And then you come into church and we start talking about meekness and you go, man, it feels like weakness. I just, I don't really want to hear that. Ladies, I think you struggle with it just the same. Uh, I know that there can be this, you know, I'm going to get my way no matter what. Uh, When my wife says she's fine, I know what that means in code, and and I know I better watch out. So I think we, I, I would say this, we struggle not having a meek heart. I think we just naturally do. Humans from the beginning of time have always struggled in this area. And I would say this, we live in a time where we celebrate bullies. We like bullies. We love bullies. Now, I know the moms are out there going, "Uh, wait a minute, little Johnny gets picked on on the playground. I don't like that. Okay, so we don't like bullies when they're kids, but when people grow up, man, we love it, right? Reality TV stars, the meaner the better. Sports team, if you've got the bully on your sports team, you're paying him well. You're really happy at that. Politicians, I like those guys who just say it like it is. They just call, you know, call it what it is. They're they're the guys that that are for me, right? How about Facebook? I'm amazed at how we get outraged and silly things just get under, under our skin and we blast people on Facebook. Now, I had somebody come up at first service and said, Rod, that's why I don't, uh, you know, I'm not on Facebook I said, I hate to tell you this, it's really not Facebook's fault, it's our heart. It's just a great mirror, right? Facebook doesn't make you that way, you just are that way and you find that it's easier to do that somehow on a, t- on a screen than it is in person. We live in a society that is anything but me. In fact, we live in a society where, where I would say we live in this outrage culture. And so I looked it up on uh, Urban Dictionary. Here's what Urban Dictionary says. When people play the victim card and bend over backwards to be as offended as possible when they really aren't. Using hissy fits, political correctness, character assassination, and a false sense of moral authority, the outrager hopes to gain power and public recognition for their brave act of justice as well as a sense of control over their meaningless existence. Often accompanied by demands for financial compensation for their pain and suffering. Right? It's just, it's just the society that we live in. And so we kind of live in this outrage culture that we're very bombastic online and everything. And then we read Hebrews and it says this, you suffered along with those who were thrown in jail and when, you, uh, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. And you go, that's weird. That doesn't even make sense. If something's taken from me, I'm going to take it back. Right? It's it's this kind of this opposite idea. Because this isn't the society that we live in. 
In fact, we just have to look at the next presidential candidates to know that. These are the people that we're saying, I am going to vote that they would represent me, that I would follow them, that they're, you know, these are the people I'm going to get behind. So I've got a list of things that they've said over the last couple months. Now, before you email me and go, you just pulled up Trump. No, I didn't. This is Republican, Democrat, Independent. This goes across all party lines. These are the people on both sides uh, or all three kind of sections. These are the people that we think that uh, kind of encapsulate America. Here's what they say. That person is obnoxious, ugly, and dumb. That candidate is a clown. They're not even a good doctor. They are terrorists. They are racists. They hate poor people. He hates women. You're not the Taliban, are you? A few few years ago, this guy would have been getting us coffee. Look at that face. They are Iranian mullahs. We need to destroy him early. It's an interesting society we live in. And so maybe there's something that Jesus had to say 2,000 years ago that would speak to us. Maybe the, the, the fate of our hearts hasn't changed that much in 2,000 years, right? When, when Jesus came on the scene uh, and started to talk about what is his mission and then he preached this message. Maybe there's something to say for us. Although we, they thought back then this is really weird. It's kind of upside down thinking. It doesn't make much sense It's the same thing today as it was then. But before we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, I really, I want to look at Jesus's mission because I think when we look at what Jesus said his mission was, then the Sermon on the Mount makes makes perfect sense. Jesus said this in Luke 4 when he was talking about uh, his mission. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. In other words, Jesus said, I I didn't come for those who think that they've got it all figured out. I came to save the lost, the broken, right? And so he he gets ready to to preach the Sermon on the Mount, and and he starts by by telling people they're blessed. Now, if if you remember back in the day, in Jesus' day, the people who were blessed were Jewish males who were wealthy, healthy, and followed the law, right? They were the ones that everybody said, God is blessing them. God's God's face is upon them. They are blessed. And then Jesus preaches, preaches this message to broken people who some of them were slaves. They couldn't own land. They 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 couldn't stand up for themselves. They were broken. And he starts to say things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And people are so confused because he's talking to the broken, the people that never thought that they were blessed, never thought 
that God's face was shining upon them. So as I unpack this this morning, I think the first place thing we have to do is figure out what is meekness, right? What Because we don't necessarily use the word meek all that often today. So what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the meek? First thing, this is what meekness isn't. I would never want my sermon to be used against somebody. I believe that the word of God is living, it brings life, that it's a salve for the brokenhearted, that it is not to be a tool for the powerful. So as we start to talk about meekness and being kind of broken and not standing up for yourself, I am not speaking to the person that may be in an abusive relationship. I'm not speaking to the person that would like to use this to lord over somebody. If you are in a relationship where you are being abused or things are happening to you that God would never want, would you make a phone call? Would you make a, a change? You know, would you try and get out of that? You know, I, I don't believe that this message should be used in that way. So I just want to put that caveat out there. I understand that there are some people that this may not speak to, but to the majority of us, I think we can really, uh, when we start to talk about what it is. So here it is. Meekness is gentle in spirit. Gentle in spirit. We read this in Matthew. Jesus says this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's that a whole idea of meekness there. Jesus is saying that he is meek, he is gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul follows that up in 2 Corinthians. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize that you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. This, I think, was just put in the Bible. I've never read it before. Uh, I was reading it this week, and I'm like, is that new? (laughs) We get this idea of Paul, that Paul is this forward, type A personality, right? He calls it like it is. He says when he's writing down, you know, remove sin from the church, tell them to quit, knock it off, to behave. And we get this idea that he is just kind of, if we ran into Paul, you know, he would just look like this type A personality. But he says this, I realize you think I am timid in person. And so he had to write some bold things to correct some theological statements. But maybe Paul was this very timid meek man following Jesus, and we don't always hear that in his writing. And so uh, I think being a gentle, just gentle and kindness continue to come up, and being gentle is meekness. Now, I would say this, that it's more than just this idea of being gentle. It's actually this idea of being defenseless. Now, I have preached messages before on meekness using the definition power under control. Many of you have heard those messages. Um, I think it's probably, that's probably a better definition of being humble as power under control, but, but people have translated it the same way, and I've heard message after message about meekness as power under control. The problem with that is this. If you're a powerful person and you hear that, it just makes you more powerful. That's right. I'm not only powerful, but I'm under control, right? And I wonder if Jesus would have something opposite to say to us. I wonder if he is saying, wait a minute, it's really not about the powerful. It's about the broken. It's the people who can't stand up for themselves. It's for the defenseless. They are the ones that are blessed, not the ones that you would use power over them. Dallas Willard put it this way. It's just a great translation. He said, blessed are the physically repulsive. 
Blessed are, are they who smell bad. The twisted, misshapen, deformed. The too big, too little, too loud. The bald, the fat, and the old. For they are riotlessly celebrated in the party of Jesus. What a great statement, right? I mean, we all would probably see ourselves in some of those statements that, that Jesus celebrates you, that he loves you. It's not about being perfect, healthy, wealthy, getting it all figured out, following the rules. It's, it's the brokenhearted. It's the ones that can't stand up for themselves. The next thing is this. Meekness is the opposite of vengeance. Meekness is the opposite of vengeance. First Peter Peter says this, he says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example. You must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate even when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Amen? I know. Look at that, not one. Uh, people usually mumble, amen, amen. We don't, we don't like to talk about suffering. I mean, we live, you know, in a society that loves to strike back, right? If, if you strike out at me, I'm going to strike back at you. This, I struggle with this one a lot because I don't like to be, I don't like to feel like I've had a, a bad shake or somebody said something against me or, you know, drug my name through the mud. When that happens, I want to strike back. Now, the truth is I, I'm really wounded. I get, I, I'm hurt. But, you know, it takes me a couple seconds to go from hurt to fighting. So, you know, I, I'm a fighter at nature, and so I want to fight back. Uh, when I moved up to Alaska many years ago, Alaska was not the cool place to be. Um, it was just kind of the frozen tundra. But right after I moved up to Alaska, I was a senior pastor in Alaska for many years. Uh, when, when I moved up there, right after uh, Deadliest Catch came on the air. And then this lady named Sarah Palin became famous. And then uh, there were all these different reality shows, right? And reality show after reality show. In fact, I'm sure if you turn on Discovery today, there's probably 15 reality shows. Most of those people don't even live in Alaska, which is weird. But... Um, it's not quite like it is on Reality Star, but, but there's all these reality TV shows that are going on. Uh, we had, in, in the church I was at, we had a, a reality TV star in our church. And she was the villain, right? The one everybody hated, uh, and she just was crazy. And she used to come up to me all the time and go, Rod, they just edit it to make it look that, it's not me. And I used to say, no, that is you. It's a good mirror. You should look at that because I know you don't think you come, that's how you come across is just the way it looks on TV. So she was standing outside the sanctuary one day uh, and she, I was running kind of between services and she grabbed me and started talking to me about, you know, she was raised Jewish, so he, he, this is what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, oh, that's interesting. She was some random little factoid. And I said, oh man, I've, I've never heard about that, but I'd love to talk to you. Why don't you, you grab me next week? Let's go have coffee. This will be awesome. And finished my sermon and got home and opened up Facebook and there it was. She had put my name on there, tagged me, tagged the church, and went on a rant about how she can't believe that she would be sitting under a pastor who had never heard of the Exodus, doesn't know anything about the Old Testament, doesn't know anything, and just pulled my name through the mud. 
And of course, because she's a pseudo-celebrity, on Facebook, everybody wants to be your friend. There were 50 people commenting, where's this church? I can't believe it. We'll never go there. How ridiculous. I was wounded. I wanted to fight back. That's not fair. How dare she say that? At least if you're going to take a shot at me, take a shot at me. I say enough. I put my foot in my mouth enough. Freedom on those things. But don't make something up. That just doesn't feel right. So I went in Monday morning, first thing at staff coffee, or at our staff meeting. Everybody had seen it, right? Everybody's like, dude, we saw on Facebook. I'm like, I know, I'm gonna comment back. They said, you shouldn't do it. I said, what do you mean I shouldn't do it? That's not fair. They said, listen, there is a reason most guys don't do anything on Facebook. It's a public, don't do it. I said, oh, you guys are crazy. And so I, of course, commented back. Learned my lesson very quickly. I was embroiled in about 50 or 60 people commenting. I kind of got in this thing. People were saying very mean and hurtful things about, I just, it, it took about 10 minutes and I realized, uh-oh, this is the wrong thing to do. And so I removed myself from the situation. But, but I just tell you that because I, I want you to understand, I get it when people come at you wrongly that you want to defend yourself. But the Bible says, no, no, we need to think opposite about this. Allow God to defend you. And that is difficult. We live in this punitive society where we, wanna, we want everybody to pay, right? For wrongs that either they do or wrongs that we think we do, they do that we are outraged about. Let me give you a couple examples. So there's these two 70-year-old guys that are driving this hearse about two and a half hours away uh, with this soldier in the back. It's got a coffin that's got a flag draped over it. Uh, they're heading to the funeral, right? It's two and a half hours away. They get up really early, jump in the car. They're going to stop really quick for coffee and donuts on the way there. So they pull into a Dunkin' Donuts. They grab a cup of coffee. They grab some donuts. They get on the road and they go. When they pull in, somebody takes a picture of the hearse. And somebody puts on Facebook, I can't believe these people would stop and have donuts and, and just rails on them. This is what the gentleman said on Facebook. Our lives are now ruined because of a donut. God forgive me. We now have no means of income because of a donut and being human. And I, my first thought is, dude, I love donuts. <laughs> if... People and driving me to my funeral, they should, I think everybody should show up to my funeral eating donuts, right? Like, so for me, I'm okay with this, but it's this idea that we just are, we're so outraged and punitive. We want to strike at people. May 4th is a big deal for Star Wars fans because they all walk around saying what? May the 4th be with you right? It's May the 4th be with you. So in Target, they've got this big sign on May 4th that says, may the 4th be with you. So a dad's like, that's awesome. So he's trying to take a selfie, which dad's taking selfies is always kind of a weird deal anyway. Um, you know, dads, if you're taking selfies, just don't make a duck face, you're fine. But so he's taking a selfie with this in the background. He clicks it. Some lady down the aisle in Target thinks that he's taking pictures of her kids. She takes a picture of him, puts it on Facebook. Look at all these creepers around here these days. He loses his job, almost loses his marriage because we want to punish people that we're outraged against. Here's one of the best ones. Look at this picture guy named Bartman. 
I know, you guys, you get this, right? In the Cubs, so the Cubs are ahead three, it's 19, or 2003, the Cubs are up three games to two, it's the eighth inning, all they have to do is win this game, they're up by three runs, they go to the World Series, right? So there's a foul ball hit, uh, and this guy does what every one of us in this room would do, we would watch the foul ball, we wouldn't be watching people around, we watch the foul ball, foul ball comes, it doesn't quite get there, he, he touches it, the guy drops it, so it's considered a foul ball, everything goes on as normal. In fact, real quick, they blew that ball up this year, the Cubs did, because they were trying to get rid of the curse so they would go to the World Series. Guess that didn't work for them. But um, <laughs> nobody knows anything different. He's sitting in the stands. They're going on. The problem is the Cubs go on to give up five runs that inning. They can't get out of the inning. They lose that game. They go on to lose the next game. In the middle of this, nobody knows anything except for the announcers on TV keep showing this guy's face. They keep talking about it. He's the reason the Cubs are falling apart. Man, if he just wouldn't have touched it and the guy would have caught it, they'd be out of the inning. Everybody at home starts calling their friends that are in the stands. Before the inning's done, they are chanting things that I can't say from up here. They're throwing things on this guy. The people around him had to surround because they thought that he feared for his life. By the ninth inning, they escorted him out of the stadium. The cops did. Never been back to a Cubs game. Had to live his life in isolation. Why? Because the Cubs lost? Like it was really his fault? Because, but we view it that way. I can't believe he did that. Last week, I could go on for hours. Last week, there was a kid playing in the Michigan game that dropped a punt, and the things that people posted on his Facebook page that he should take his life, that he should die because somebody loses a game, this is the society that we live in? And Jesus says, no, 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 this is not what I want for you. I want us to react in meekness, something completely different, and we go, wait a minute, Jesus, that's weird. When people come at us or we think we've been wrong or we're outraged, we want to fight back. Uh, Jesus says, no, meekness is not about revenge. The next thing I put down here is meekness is the way of the New Testament. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 says, therefore, I am a prisoner of serving the Lord. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. If you were to go uh, to your neighborhoods and grab somebody who doesn't know Jesus and say, hey, what's your first thought of Christianity? Would it be this? Those people are always humble and gentle. Man, they are so patient with each other when they screw up. They love each other, even of their faults. In fact, I know that they're Christians just by the way they love each other. Maybe not, but maybe that's a question. Should our lives be a life that's marked by meekness? Should we be the kind of people that love each other more? Uh, Colossians, one more, says, Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What a great, great message. And then you see Jesus says, okay, so that's meekness. So blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And the idea of that is this, is that God sees you and your due is coming. He was talking to people who couldn't own land, 
who couldn't work their way out of the poverty situation that they were on. They were being harassed. They were defenseless. And he was saying, God sees you and God will care for you. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But God cares for you and loves you. And you will be blessed. Now, before you think that meekness is all about just kind of being a doormat, Aristotle says this, which I thought was a a great quote. He, He defines a meek man as this, a man who is angry on the right occasion with the right people at the right moment for the right length of time which I thought, man, that is a great definition. Because if Jesus was meek, we would all say, there were moments Jesus got angry. There were moments Jesus called it like it was. There were moments that, that he cut kind of to the chase, right? And right to the heart of the issue. So it's not that we're these meek people that are just doormats, but it's, it's this idea that if there are things that should make us angry. The problem is this, here, here is Rod. Rod is usually a man who is angry on the wrong occasion with the wrong people. Many times I have been angry at the wrong moments, certainly for the wrong amount of time, right? Like sometimes I feel like, man, we get this so backwards. There's my message, amen. (laughs) Have a great day. The, The problem is this. Sometimes we come to church We hear a a motivating message. We sing some songs that make us feel good. We say amen at the end of the day. We walk out and nothing changes. And next week we come back, hear a great message. Man, this is awesome. Love it. Hallelujah. I get it. Sing some good songs and leave unchanged. What if we left here different? What if we became a people who were marked by meekness. What would that say to the world? What kind of witness would that be? You may not realize this, but, but the best witness to the early church was the way they died, not the way they lived. As persecution came in on Christian and, and Christendom uh, back in the early church and they were feeding them to wild animals, what made the biggest difference was the way they died, not the way they lived. In fact, the way that they would walk to their death in assurance and assurity, uh, people started to make a difference and started coming to Christ. You want to talk about weird, here's a weird statement. Ignatius of Antioch said this as he was being led to his death to be ripped apart by wild animals. Allow me to become food for the wild beasts. Through who who it means it will be granted for me to reach God. I am the wheat of God and I am ground by the teeth of the wild beasts that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. Who says that? It's weird, it became a witness. So my question to you is this, what would it be like in your neighborhoods, in Salem, in Oregon, and in the world if we were a people that were marked by meekness? How different would the world be if, if this was a city where people weren't taken advantage of? Where people were lifted up and thought of first instead of thinking of ourselves first? What would it be like if we had grace? Now, here's the problem. We're gonna leave here today and, and you're gonna be like, okay, somebody cuts me off on the road or, or the waitress gives you the wrong food or something and what are you gonna do? You're gonna go, okay, Rod said be meek, be meek, be meek, be meek, be meek. And you're not gonna, it's not going to change. Because I started off earlier by saying meekness is a heart issue, right? And so pray that God would change your heart. Let me go back to the beginning. Here's the point. We're spiritually poor because we realize what Christ has done. 
We mourn because of that. So in other words, here, here, here it comes. We realize the grace we've been given. Guess what? Jesus loves you even when you're a knucklehead. Jesus likes you even when you blow it. Jesus forgives you of all of your trespasses. We realize that and that overflows on the people around us. All of a sudden we have forgiveness. We care for others. We love each other, right? We don't become so easily offended and all of a sudden the meekness has changed. It's a heart issue. And so I just wanna leave you with this. What would it look like to be a people who don't get on Facebook and just get offended every little thing? What would it be like to be a people if we left here today and we, we showed forgiveness to the people around us? If we truly loved our neighbor even when they blow it? If we, if we granted people, you know, um, if, if we just thought of them more? What would it be like if you didn't feel like you had to defend yourself at every turn and you let God be your defender? It would be very weird. But what a witness it would be. Bow your heads with me as we pray. God, thank you for your example of what it means to be meek. God, I just pray that, that we would see you and we would understand how, how far from that we are, Lord, but that you can change our heart. God, I pray that we would be a people who, who would understand how much you love us. God, I pray that that we would be a people marked by an upside-down living, that we would live life much differently because of you. Lord, would we be a people who are not out for vengeance? Would we be a people that would allow you to be our defender? God, we just, we know that we are broken people, and sometimes, man, we just don't have a heart that looks that way, but God, you do, and so I pray that you would just change our heart and that we would leave here different people, not because of anything I said, Lord, but because you are alive, because you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, because you dwell within us and you love us so much. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.